This is now everybody's business because this is their educational practice. They've got a Bishop of Bristol, an 11th century cathedral telling children that Colston was a brilliant bloke and talking about Colston and Jesus Christ in the same sentence. I'm Neil Maggs and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, The Bristol Cable. You're listening to a recording taken at the historic moment the statue of slave trader Edward Colston was brought down in Bristol in 2020. Today we pick up the story three years on, talking to a founding member of the campaign group countering Colston. Today's guest is Christine Townsend, now a Green Party councillor for Southfield, elected in May 2021. She's a former independent mayoral candidate who has extensive experience in education. A former teacher, school governor, chair of Bristol School Forum and co-founder of Integrate UK. She's battled selection processes in Bristol schools that she believes favours privileged children and families. She's been the thorn in the side of the merchant venturers calling for them to remove themselves from education in the city and she's also been heavily involved with countering Colston as we said right from the word go campaigning and pushing the influence of Colston and organisations around and protected him from their influence in the city enjoy Hi Christine Hello You were probably in terms of broadcast wise one of the first people that was talking at sort of length about the role of the merchant venturers in the media anyway. I came back home in 2003 to live and work. And I was the head of year seven at City Academy, which was the first academy in Bristol and only the ninth in the country. And that was sponsored by John Laycock, who was a merchant venturer. So yeah, from 2003, that that organization's name was kind of being banded around. And as a Bristolian, I'd never heard of them. So that was quite interesting to me because I'd never come across these this organization or anyone involved in it ever before in my life. So it was kind of like, mm. who are these people? Yeah. Where are they? Why are they getting involved with state schools? So it was really right at the beginning. Not only right at the I- beginning from Bristol's academization, but right at the beginning of the whole academy program. Yeah. And that's kind of been your... I mean, your background is in teaching, I know, but that's kind of been your, I guess, your driver to get into politics when you did stand as the independent mayor. It was 2016, is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Education was at the forefront in terms of the hustings I saw was the central key issue that you were talking about. Yeah, I mean, my main driver for standing in 2016 was to make sure that there was actually a discussion about our school system because I kind of felt... Of the two people that were like that were, you know, in in reality going to win one or the other, they would have, in my view, agreed that everything was okay. We don't really need to discuss it. And they would have been on the same page saying the same things. And it was kind of like that's because neither of you really have any clue what is actually going on in the state school system. It's the key statutory service for children, isn't it? If that's not working, then everything else is doing catch up and costing more. Well, I move a little bit onto that later, if that's all right. But just in terms of, yep. of of you, yourself, your kind of background, how you kind of got into politics, we sort of drill back to that a bit. Education was your thing, but you, I, I guess you kind of flirted around politics without 
sort of committing to a party for some time. So I'm sort of interested to know what what made you kind of come to the Green Party? Well, that's kind of a bit further forward, really. I mean, okay, I think well, my question to start with, Neil, is why did I flirt around politics per se? You're not going to do what that- Marvin does and tell me what the right question is to ask you, are you? Well, that, um, no, 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 I'm just, I need to go back in time a bit more because the Green Party came relatively late, I suppose. For you, but yeah. Okay, well, what inspired you to get involved in politics then, yeah, as a broader question? So my my education background is very kind of politics-based and kind of, you know, yeah. drug and alcohol kind of work and sexual health and stuff like that. That was yeah. my area of curriculum. But I got involved, I started to get involved in an organisation, well, help set up, called Integrate Bristol, it was then. It's now Integrate UK and that there was some movements to try to kind of block some of the projects they were doing. Yeah, And I knew that there needed to be a, a sort of noise at the political level, if you like. What era are we talking now? How long ago? This would have been around 2006, 2007, okay. something like that. So I would, I'd yeah. been at the City Academy for a couple of years, mm-hmm. but I hadn't yet kind of left if you like so I was there for sort of eight nine years so it's kind of halfway through. The thing for you around schools and and education my sense is that were you quite frustrated at how that's not been seen as a priority by successive leaders? How does it relate to other big cities of equal equivalent in terms of standards and results and, and stuff like that? Does it does it fare well or not? Well, on many on many things, it's in and around the national average. In a measure, that's a good thing for Bristol and always has been. Yeah. So there was a time when, for example, when Bristol's exclusion rates were some of the highest in the country. Yeah. There, there has been a time in the past where some of Bristol's teenage pregnancy rates were literally the highest in the country. Yeah. Because Britain was the highest in Europe, it was literally some of the highest in Europe. Now... I'm not saying that the education system is any more impactful on teenage pregnancy rates than any other service or community. However, it's a measure of how young people were responding to the support and the services that were being provided for them, should we say? You've not only been a school teacher, you've been a school governor, you were chair of Bristol School Forum, co-founder of Integrate UK. Education is obviously your passion. Let's just drill into that sort of the transition from education into politics then. How, how did it come about, Christine? Well, the first time I stood was in 2013. And I stood as an independent. And the reason I did that was because Integrate as a charity and the work we were doing was coming under a lot of pressure to basically stop doing it. It was kind of, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it with the wrong people. You're doing it in the wrong way. And you're talking about the wrong subject matter. So this it was 2013, has, I, the, first, the first time we had a, a mayor, when George won, that was the first time you stood. Yes, so it was yeah. for this independence for Bristol thing. Yeah. And the young people were like, look, this person's standing for this other political party in Lawrence Hill, and mm. that person's been trying to shut us up and close us down and kind of trying to rock the boat for what these young people and their families were doing at the time. And so if this person's standing, somebody else needs to stand to say that we're not gonna be, we, we won't be bullied and we're not going to be intimidated by this yeah. and we won't back down. And then, and we were kind of like going, really? What? So, what do you want us to do about it? Like, you know, like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know what to do about that. But then they brought in this newspaper article that said, look, these people are looking for people. And it just so happened that I was best placed to 
try to put myself forward and and go and go down that avenue. But by then, young people we were working with had already they'd already been on Newsnight to try and get their their message out at a very top level. And I was kind of like, look, if our young people can go on national TV and talk about stuff, I can stand for local council. Mm. That's really not that much of a big deal. And it was a very important element to sort of making sure that Integrate was able to carry on and that young people were continuing to, to, to able to raise awareness about the things that they wanted to raise awareness around rather than the things or the way in which they were told it was okay to do it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And how did you find the process? The political environment is, is really quite adolescent. <laughs> I've yeah. got to say. Yeah. I mean, and that the response that I had from, you know, different individuals and different people attached to different parties was kind of like, gosh, this is, I didn't expect you to behave in this way. And not only are you quite adolescent, adolescents are better at this than you are. So right. from that yeah. perspective, it, it just was just like, God. No, you're never re- you're never going to sort of upset me. It doesn't matter what you think you can say or do, or it's not mm. going to upset me because there's a group of fourteen year olds over there that are much better at it than you, and I've got twenty years kind of dealing with that. Looking back on that time now, did you sort of envisage how the sort of mayoral role would become in the city? And obviously, you know, now now it's gone. Or will be going in in May of next year. Not in not in twenty thirteen. No, I mean I was not really. I don't think anybody really had no. much idea, did they? What the mayoral no, role no. was going to lead? Un- yeah, so uncharted waters, wasn't it? Really? Yeah, very much so. It was on only it. a yeah. year after Ferguson had been elected, so very I little think- would have changed in the space of a year. No, no. But then you decided to stand again. I Can just, I just ask on, on the independent thing? What I'm interested in is because obviously. <laughs> You're not. You probably you knew you weren't going to win. Yeah, both times. Right, of course, yeah. You know, so what? So what, what? What? Why would you stand the second time if you know you've got no chance of winning? Well, the second time I stood as an independent for councillor. Part of Neil. Part of it. I I really liked the idea that it wound yeah. all these other people in. These yeah, that's why I want. I want. That's why I want to unpick a little bit actually because I think <laughs> I you have. Like that. Like, yeah, like, you know, I'm not. I'm, I'm not, I'm not dissimilar to that. You've got a little bit of it. You like to provoke a little bit, don't you? Yeah. Well, particularly when it comes from a place where, because mine was like, this is we live in a democracy. Yeah. You don't own this. You know, there was quite a lot of, particularly because it was Lawrence Hill that I was standing in. It was kind of like. Who do you think you are? You can't win. Why are you standing against a black woman? You know, come and join us if you want to be a politician because we'll show you how to do it. It was all that kind of stuff. And it was just like, it's mm. a democracy. Anyone yeah. can stand. You don't have to pay. There's no cost involved in standing for local election. It was just a bit, I was just a bit like, hey, this is, I just felt that it was quite a strange response because I've never been in those circles ever before that particular point in my life and then I was just like I just quite like the fact that you lot just get really wound up by it (laughs) yeah you're not necessarily there to stay on anyone's particular message that can be quite intimidating for people yeah well maybe but like if you're standing for election then get used to the fact that there's going to be times when you feel a bit uncomfortable yeah true and you know you kind of just deal with it really and don't attack the individual or go after the individual because that's how it makes you feel yeah 
that's you know because that's 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 your problem that's that's you responding to a scenario that's not that other person kind of creating something that you that that they leave behind that you then have to deal with that's just kind of yeah I, I, I just found it all a bit a bit odd a bit strange and mainly no what you know this is how if this is how you behave at the political level then I'm not surprised that our education system is kind of the bottoms beginning to fall out because yeah. you know you, you need to you need to focus you need to focus your mind on the things that are actually really important like running statutory services as well as you can possibly run them does it attract a certain type of person? Is there sort of something, something sort of fundamentally missing from somebody that they that they want to do that? You've got to be a yes. You are kind of saying to people, vote for me because I'm brilliant, and not only am I brilliant, I'm the best person. That's I, I'm better than all these other people that say they're brilliant. I mean, that is effectively <laughs> yeah. what you're doing, yeah, which yeah. doesn't sit very well with me particularly, anyway. But there are a lot, you know, most people don't come from that that school of thinking where they're going I'm the best I'm brilliant you know I'm the candidate and, then- and your, but your route into it is slightly different I think than a lot of politicians because you've come through you know they do this thing Christine and I see it a lot if if if, if there's a sort of debate or an argument around politics if it's a case or an MP they'll say well what are you doing about it standing from the sidelines and stuff like that and, and often I think particularly a lot of journalists don't quite know how to respond or people be like oh yeah I suppose you're you're getting yourself stuck in but uh, you know you had a background of working in you know working in communities however you want to define that I have myself so often I will push back and go hang on a minute I've worked alongside cancer so I've seen loads of cancers turn up at events get a photo taken after five minutes and then they buggered off yeah. It's like, you know, I don't fall for that sometimes. It's like, you know, there's many ways you can make a difference and you can make a change. My question no, is, back why have you decided to do that in politics? If you've had a background in doing stuff before and then you've come into it, okay, I understand that. But if all of a sudden you come from nowhere, it makes me a bit suspicious or a bit cynical. Well, well, I mean, there's part of me that agrees with you. I mean, mm. I find it really weird that anybody would kind of, you know, I don't know, get to the age of 19 or 20 and... They, they, they see their career in adverted commas as one of the, being a politician. I just think that's weird. It's not a career. <laughs> you should like, be going what? to raves. You should be going to raves. And, well, partly. And, right, right. Yeah, it's like, yeah, part, yeah. Partly it's like, what's wrong with you? But, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's kind of, apparently there's these kind of degrees that you do and then you become, I don't know, you become researchers or you work in MPs' offices and stuff like that. And I just, yeah. I, I, don't, I find that a bit, I mean, it's, I find yeah, that a a, yeah, yeah, and it's, it's very like new, newish thing, isn't it? If you think people yes, who were MPs in the old days had a background in a certain field that they then went into politics later in life, but yeah, you're right. There is that thing where people become. I think about a lot of you know the Labour, you know the Millibands and Ed Balls, but they've all been advisors and they've been there from the age of nineteen, twenty, and sort of come through. Yeah, careerist politicians. It seems a slightly odd thing. It should be should be a calling, shouldn't it? Or a, yeah, I, I I agree that it's a weird thing and. Hmm. It's kind of well. What what do you know about? You might know about what marketing communication. I mean, but you know, ultimately, what use is that really when you need more school places, yeah. or you need to make sure that your adult social care budget balances and that you're getting the best service out to you to the people that need it. Really, you know, mm. those kinds of industries, or yeah. <laughs> insulting people that work in communications and marketing now. But yeah. I, I I find them a bit they're they're very it's very capitalist orientated isn't it marketing and sort of communication and pr presentation without sort of substance or even under yeah. perhaps under the depth of understanding isn't it and and i do wonder whether the bigger jobs in 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 politics 
I you think about the two mayors, for example, you know, neither of them had worked in politics before and suddenly they're into like a big job, which comes with a lot of pressure and a lot of scrutiny and it's whether you, you should have to have had a little bit more life experience or some of the issues that affect people's lives in politics, if that makes sense. I think it's good for people to have had life experience and industry experience yeah. out or be in the process of getting that because you can be a local councillor, I suppose, and you can still do other work and have other, because mm. it isn't, a, it's not supposed to be a full-time job, but having, but you bring to the post whatever, whatever your life experience has been. And if that's really been through an academic route and then it's gone into working in the industry of politics and then that's a bit narrow i think yeah yeah sure let's talk party politics then yeah so when did you become a member of the green party about eight weeks before the election oh wow okay (laughs) yeah 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 let's let's be honest about that i mean i don't i've had this conversation with I think I had a similar conversation with Cleo when I'm like, I don't like to stereotype by will. There is a stereotype a little bit of what a green or traditionally what a green politician perhaps is. I don't think you really fit into that. So have you joined the Green Party because it's a sort of vehicle, because you tried to be an independent and that didn't work. So it's a sort of vehicle where you can actually get some influence and power or is it because you fundamentally believe in the policies of the Green Party? It's a bit of both, to be honest, Neil. I mean, yeah. My- I I should be Labour through and through. That's yeah. what I should be. Councillor State, Patchway, that's where I grew up, state school, you know, I should be Labour. But Labour kind of left me, if you if you know why I, I didn't change. The Labour Party changed and the Labour Party's focus changed. Expand on that. Well, they lost their kind of socialism edge, I think. They, they lost their, they've kind of got a, bit close to big business and big corporations nationally or locally both both Both. I think I think it started nationally you know that we had the kind of the Corbyn stuff and the momentum stuff that's a lot more where I am politically yeah in terms of renationalizing some of the big utilities for example and how is it that water can ever be private what's that about you know Mm -hmm. You know, the, the the liquid of life is privatised, which is, you know, so those elements of, of how the economy is run, I, I don't sit with Labour on that. And yeah. there was a time, you know, certainly as I was a sort of teenager growing up, that Labour was in that place. So that's one of the big sort of reasons for going green. But mainly it's about people that are met, to be honest, you know, locally. Tony Dyer, largely, who was... Who is your fellow... Councillor in Southfield. Yeah, and so the offer yeah. that kind of Tony came to me with around Southfield or are you going to stand for independent? Because I was going to stand as an independent for mayor again. And then this opportunity came up in Southfield and Tony was kind of, and I kind of had to make the decision then. It's like, okay, well, how do I get the best platform to push through the thing, the vision that I think Bristol needs for its school system? And you had some connection to the area. I know you said you grew up in Patchway, but your your dad ran a toy shop, the neon or your dad yeah. grew up on North Street. Yeah, my family are Bed- yeah. yeah, my family are Bedminster based. So yeah. my dad grew up in that shop. Did that matter mom- to you then? Would you have been uncomfortable, I don't know, go into an area that you had no connection with standing? Um yes, I think I would have done. So I'm trying to think of an area. I mean I could have you know, Lawrence Hill, Barton Hill, that area I know it well. 
Yeah. But if you'd have said to me, why don't you stand in heel fields? I'd have kind of gone, I can barely, I'd barely know where it was on the map. It's somewhere east. Yeah, sure. But, you know, I've been to heel fields a few times, but I don't have any connection with no. it at all. Yeah. So, yes, there would have been, you know, there's only certain sort of bits where I would have been comfortable yeah. and confident, really. And, you, you know, you're selling, you're selling people a bit of a pup as well. If you're trying to claim that you're that you know I the, so, yeah. you know the yeah. area, and it's kind of like actually this part of Bristol is the bit that I know the best in terms of this what's gone on historically. Because yeah. my family are, you know, it's in my blood. My family worked at Wheels's, you know. You and, and Tony actually as well. He's a is he he's a is he a North West or Hartcliffe boy? Tony, he's Hartcliffe, yeah. He's Hartcliffe. His family are both of you well. are quite quite working class, and yeah, you're the two Southfield councillors. <laughs> I, I know, quite... but that's also but that's all Neil. That's also um, an understanding about what Southfield as a ward is. Okay, well, you can tell me because I, you know, I don't know huge. I mean, I yeah, don't, yeah, yeah. It is that bit. I I agree. I mean, that bit around North Street. Yeah, and some of those streets around around North Street. Yeah, but absolutely, you know, house prices, whatever demographics, blah blah, that has changed. Yeah, but Southville also incle- includes all the areas around East Street. Right. Yeah, and Which, it goes yeah, all the way yeah. down York Road to yeah. Fowlers. The last, and that's like almost like a you know a tell of two cities in one yeah. ward. Then yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And recently, Southville's got some of this. It's called some safer streets funding from central government now there are two areas that got it in bristol and mm. that was about the levels of antisocial behavior and mm. one was between uh dame emily park and east street in southville and the other one was hartcliffe and that okay. response was exactly the same there were other people that have said southville why is southville getting money and it's like it's because you don't understand go and have a look in and around east street there is the levels of deprivation oh, sure. and they're really yeah. high yeah. So how do you respond then when there is accusations of, you know, well, firstly, do you think the Greens do have a little bit of a an image issue or challenge? And secondly, when, when you hear those sort of generalisations banded about by the mayor or people around him about the Green Party, how do people like you and Tony and Cleo sort of respond to that? Because you don't really fit into that box. Yeah, I mean, how do I feel about it? Well, I just kind of go, well, whatever. I mean, people think what people think, don't they? And yeah. when particularly sort of, you know, leading politicians locally from the Labour Party repeat a narrative is because they want that to be the narrative in people's minds. It takes a long time to unfix and or change people's perceptions or ideas about yeah. either whether it's an institution or whether it's a kind of a, a, an area of a city. That yeah. takes a long time for that, for things to shift and things to move. There's definitely, I agree, but there's all, there is also the reality, there's definitely a shift. It's some of those areas that have seen change, right? You know, Southfield has, but also Eastern Lock Lees has yeah. been changing as well, or even parts of Eastville, I think. that the, Not Lawrence Hill, though, that's not... Not Lawrence Hill, no, not Lawrence Hill. But, I, 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 yeah, I think there's some other cultural challenges, yeah. and I think there were some issues, you know, around previous candidates there that sort of push people in that direction, perhaps, where the Green Party have gained seats. It, it isn't still in Hartcliffe, Southmead or Noel West yet. Do you think it could be? I think it could be, yeah. I mean, the Southville by-election was very, very close. Yeah. Um, but the Green Party know that it's important that you have basically local candidates who know the area and, you yeah. know, they know what was going on 50 years ago and 40 years ago. This is the advert time again. 
feel free to fast forward on if you want to. Just tell you about the Bristol Cable. We are still, as ever, looking for members, which means you can get involved in decision-making and attending meetings and AGMs and stuff like that and come up with ideas for this show or for the paper. So jump on the website, have a look, and uh, you can chuck some money in every month, a couple of quid, and you can become a member. Why not do that? Back to the chat. Did you expect the political direction under a Labour mayor to be friendliness with big business, business west, developers, even the merchants, which we'll get onto shortly? I think I felt the disappointment because I sat next to him or at the same table that he was sat at night after night. Mm. Hearing him, the words coming out of his mouth were, I'm going to speak, you know, speaking truth to power and hearing the voices of those that aren't normally heard. And he may there may have been some attempt to do that but certainly in the second term i don't think there's been any attempt to do that whatsoever and he set up this kind of one city structure which is a committee that has been acceptable to the mayor and the mayor's office it's a kind of parallel council isn't it that makes decisions well one one a critics would say it's a parallel undemocratic council if people support it would say it's a way of bringing together different sectors across the city and sitting in the room and make change if marvin was here or kevin or something so yeah we're we're unashamedly ambitious about bristol and and being gr- part of growth and and developing the city putting it on the stage etc cetera, etc cetera. that was very different than what the message was in the campaign because the campaign was kind of like that was what George was doing and this was like we're not like George as you just said we're for a challenging orthodoxy and power in the mm-hmm. city enabling grassroots all that stuff so my question to you did you you sat there you were there literally you know on the on the Hustings panel having these these debates did you believe him at the time and did, did he believe did he, did he actually did he mean it or was this just all part of the sort of I don't know oh, a, that's, a greater that's, plan? That's, a, that's a difficult question I mean I wanted it to happen. I really, really wanted it. I really wanted him to be successful at speaking truth to power and democratising how decisions were run, who it is that gets access to public money, who it is that is, you know, kind of building on prime land. Mm. He definitely hasn't done that for you. Not for me, not in any way, shape or form, no. Because the people that have always been behind the scenes, the big corporations, he's still using them. The well, you could, argue, you could argue, well, and, and some people have on on this show that he's gone further than George with some with of that stuff. That? I know, but over seventy percent of council income is about running good statutory services. Yeah, and you know the core function of a city council is not making sure there's massive cranes everywhere. The core functions of a city council is ensuring that statutory services enable residents to live the most fulfilling and independent lives they're able to. Yeah. And that and is... Do you think, and, do you, and do you think that's what it, wherein there's still a bit of a, a defensiveness around the fact, obviously, that they've lost the mandate of, of mayor, you know, the, for, for the next person that could have come along and, and taken it on? that there's a kind of sense that this was a coup by a group of people to get rid of us and it, you know, it doesn't have a democratic mandate and this is people taking Bristol back, you know, when we were making progress, big vision stuff, and this is just petty politics again. Well, I mean, that's just denial of what the vote was because more people turned out to vote in the referendum as to yeah. whether we wanted to keep the mayor than 
the referendum to bring the mayor in and a higher percentage in the vote to keep the mayor or get rid of the mayoral system voted to get rid of it. I mean, that's just... And is that because of that, do you think? The fact it's not looking at, I don't know, you know, for analogy, potholes and and local services and looking at all this, you know, global city stuff and and, and actually that most, most ordinary people don't really... To be frank, don't really care about that stuff. Well, they, and what I, impact, I mean, I don't see what impact it's had. I, mm. I mean, you know, the pot, it's really important that the potholes are filled. It's really important that people have decent waste services. It's really important that people can get their kids in the local school. You yeah. know, these are really key elements to what it is to run a local council. It's important that the park is safe. It's important that the park doesn't have lots of drug or sex litter in it. You know, these are these are things that impact on people's lives. But isn't it also important to put Bristol on? Isn't it also important to put Bristol on the map? Well, you know, I don't, to bring, to bring Channel big... Four to Bristol to have well, no, you know, the kind of thing, uh, Neil. The biggest uh, thing that put Bristol on the map yeah. has had nothing to do with Reese and nothing to do with this administration. It, it, if anything, they worked diametrically opposed to it, and that yeah. was the statue going statue, in the yeah. You know, yeah. that without in the last ten years, the last fifty years, arguably. What has put Bristol more on the global map than that? Nothing. Yeah. And yeah well, well, undeniably so. I've never, ever seen a moment in my life where you've had New York Times, Washington Post, you know, international news agencies descending on the city. And there was a quote, wasn't there, prior to, um, and we'll talk, well, I want to talk a little bit about your countering calls and stuff. There was a quote, I, can't, I haven't got the quote, but it was something along the lines of, you know, I'm not, I don't want to get involved in this, pretty much is what, Mayor Marvin Reese said, quite new into the post. I don't want to get involved in the statue kind of stuff. I've got other things to focus on. You know, I don't. I'm not interested. Yeah. And then when the stat, and then when the statue came down, you could. I think there was like seventy interviews with national and international media. Did he? Did he make? Did he own that story and try and make it about him? Well, he had a a documentary film camera following him for a year after. That's how much he wanted to do it. Of course, he did. I mean, he was and. You and know. being somebody as a member of Countering Colston who's campaigned to get the statue, amongst other things I know, that was a symbolic thing. Would, how did that make you guys feel? Because how, am I right in thinking he'd not really engaged in, in the... No, he's in not the engaged in the... I, I, was, I was ecstatic. You know, the, the, the second that statue came down, it was like, right, well, that's Countering. We've done it. We've done it. I mean... Yeah. What no, but how did that? it make you feel seeing the mayor kind of, you know, what some people would see as sort of owning it and making it about him a little bit? Well, I wasn't, I wasn't surprised that that's mm. kind of what happened. And I wasn't surprised that that's how the media interacted with it. Yeah. Because there was, an, there, presumably there was a kind of an assumption that somehow the mayor of the city would have had a better understanding of how it is that that came to be than he clearly yeah. did because he wasn't yeah. involved in any of it. The sort of six or seven or eight of us that are long-standing countering Colston members, we were none of us were surprised that that that's what happened in terms of the media and the the kind of publicity around when the statue was taken down and put into the put into the harbour. There was an assumption that it was all about statues, yeah, and that kind of annoyed me because it was never about statues. It was always about current educational and religious practices by some yeah. of the biggest and oldest institutions in our city and in our country and how they kind of maintain their own narrative around that particular individual and why they would want that to happen. And you wrote an article, didn't you, for Bristol 24-7 
in talk, sort of broadening the conversation. What I find quite amazing was that nobody really put two and two together about the role between the Merchant Ventures and Colston or anything like that at all in any, any of these interviews or national media stuff at that time. And actually, that obviously Colston School, you were sort of heavily involved in campaigning on the, 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 the Colston Bun Day, where actually this created a kind of myth of who this person and his character was, a denial of his role in, in the slave trade. It's no surprise that a good proportion, even now, of Bristolians who born and bred in the city feel quite irked that his statue is down because they've been you know, they've been lied to and there's been mm. this propaganda around who he was that they've sort of swallowed it hook, line and sink and it was all based on bullshit really, wasn't it? Well, absolutely. And when you're taught that from a very young age and then suddenly as a grown adult or even a, a kind of middle-aged ageing adult, you're told some, something is wrong. You know, it wasn't like this. It was like something else. It, there's something emotional and psychological that that attacks within you uh, as an individual. I mean... Identity, People, isn't it? My identity yeah. is well, being Brexit attacked. Is a yeah. similar yeah. thing, isn't it? Brexit yeah. has been a similar thing. He was, it was a complete, utter load of nonsense, most yeah. of it. And that's now beginning to come to fruition. And people, you know, and there's going to come yeah. a point where nobody will ever say that they voted for Brexit because mm. that is e- it's easier to say they didn't vote for Brexit and pretend they didn't than they were actually taken in and that mm. they accepted and, and swallowed a lie. It's this whole thing around if you tell something over and over again, people believe it and they internalise it. And as you say, when you then, when then that becomes sort of challenged, they're kind of shaken from yeah. that but i mean a lot of people in the city did not know and i know you guys were karen colson were pushing for this for a long time is that that statue was built you know sort of 150 years or 100 more than that 160 70 years after he died and it was part of an era where some of the realities of what was happening in the in the colonies was beginning to sort of drip back wasn't it into the into the uk and people were beginning to challenge that so suddenly loads of these statues like colson started popping up everywhere across the country and and the stories and narratives around their greatness were kind of there. It was almost a sort of sleight of hand moment of recreating sort of patriotism, which is actually quite similar to what's been happening with the Tories, you know, in the last 10 years or so, or as you say, post-Brexit really, where they're trying to, they they know the Pandora's box is coming off a bit. So they're trying to push it back down, you know? Yeah. Or create something that so say is uniting I mean, yeah. the other thing that was going on in the decades leading up to when they, that statue was put up mm. is that there were education activists trying to open up education, particularly for women. The suffragette yeah. movement was in and around and the labour movement was in yeah. and around. And kind of the 80s and the 90s, the labour movements were were getting really, they were on the streets and they were really causing some issues. Yeah. And Colston was so, say, going to be this uniting figure yeah. for all across all classes and so yeah. therefore you couldn't tell the narrative that actually if you were from the working classes under colston he, you'd be out there first you'd be yeah. you know you know he was constantly... well i think if you were a catholic he wouldn't give you any money would he is that right well, yeah he wouldn't give you any money yeah. he was quite, you know they're quite happy to round up um orphans and you know yeah. before sort of getting into the the enslavement of africans mm. it was paupers criminals or people they would consider to be criminals prostitutes whoever that the kind of they'd be quite happy to um, deport people to enslave them yeah so it, it was but that narrative's not going to come out when you're wanting to present somebody that was you know 
paternalistic and philanthropic and sort of had yeah. all this philanthropy and look what a great guy he was. You're not and the church be... and the church being, you know, yeah. Bristol Cathedral and Absolutely. You know, Redcliffe Church. I recently yeah. had Reverend Phil Knott, who's got a new role at Bristol Cathedral on the show. And they're very much trying to, you know, he's relatively new, but he's very much trying to become a sort of progressive, forward-thinking institution and stuff like that. The, the, the church in Bristol, really, the high church in Bristol, massively colluded with that story, didn't they? Of course they the, did. Of yeah. course they did. Well, the bishop was repeating it to the yeah. children in yeah. the cathedral. You know, which, which for those that don't know, I don't know. I think the show that you, which you spoke at the beginning that used to be on. I think the journalist Tony Goslin went in secretly and recorded some speech, didn't he? Which was then put out. Which well, that was which, kind which, of which, what kicked it all off for me. Really, I was just yeah. like, "What is this?" Because by that time, you see, the schools that were in there, yeah, apart from the Colston School, which is still private. The other hundreds of children were from state schools run by the Merchant Ventures. And I was like, these are state schools. This is now yeah. this is now everybody's business. Yeah. Because this is their educational practice. And they're telling they've got a Bishop of Bristol in a you know, in a in a in eleventh century cathedral telling children that Colston was a brilliant bloke and talking about Colston and Jesus Christ in the same sentence. Uh, yeah, and the, Colston and Jesus Christ on a really deep, slightly sinister level, the whole eating very, of the blood, the eating really, of the bun being yeah. very much like the Eucharist, you know, the body of Christ. Yeah, Do you know what really I mean? A little strange. bit on some yeah. surreal, sub, sort of weird, subliminal level that, that that impact that that would have. Of course. You know? And um, the complicity that you're, bre- you're, you're teaching children to be complicit, that would cause them to be conflicted with what they're doing. Mm. And then that come, and then and then we sort of fast forward to that sort of post moment is that suddenly people are starting to draw the connections between Merchant Ventures, the statue, you know, the plaque that was never then acted upon, mm. and also then you know I'm talking to sort of journalists, journalists outside the city, and I'm saying why are none of you talking about this organisation that have been around, and and they thought it was like a Dan Brown thing that they didn't really believe. They thought it was a sort of conspiracy. I said, no, 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 there's an organisation that connected to the transatlantic state trade that hold the trust funds for Colston and for Wills and for other people that not only do they still exist in the organisation, they give funding to schools, to community organisations, and were central and pivotal in blocking the statue coming down. And it was really difficult to get any people to to be interested in telling that story. And I think that the, the box opened so much that I think once people started to sort of ask a few questions or do a bit of digging, people were saying to me, that's bloody weird. How can that still exist today? Now, as you have you said, you know, in articles you've written in Liverpool, they did away with that God knows how long ago. What is it about Bristol that we allow these sort of like dirty secrets never to leave and, and they sort of still, and the power networks are just so small in the city? What What is it? Is it the geographical sort of isolation a bit i don't know i've always wrestled with that question i yeah it, it is a difficult question isn't it mm. the church that i do think the church of england has that there's a big part of it that is about the church and the cathedral because bristol is this bristol is this kind of stepping stone with london being the next place yeah so the dean of bristol is now the dean of westminster yeah and he went, you know, that was kind of that would have been presumably promotion for him. And Bristol's this is and always has been a cash cow for London. Yeah. So the control, the control mechanism, you know, making sure you control that element of the economy because it's key city in the southwest. 
yeah and, and, and key people key people that have been a member of the merchant ventures which is now a public membership for, for many years it wasn't public are connected to london yes they are, are yes. They, you know, Nicholas, are, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so you, and they're you, in those things you know they like guild of engineers and yeah, you know yeah, yeah. and they all dress up in funny suits and things. well we and we had and supposed you know that clearly the pressure was 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 mounting because there was a massive pivot in the comm strategy of the merchants a massive pivot in who they recruit now they do recruit you know women people from diverse backgrounds where they did which they didn't do before they tweeted a complete different sort of perspective on the statue coming down in the space of a week it was you know then i think that the colston society disbanded yes. yeah, yeah. yeah was that a sort of an attempt to sort of keep the you know don't look at us it's the colston society that kind of it felt as if that was given a bit of a boat a, a distraction bone out when the same people in the colston society a lot of them are in the merchant ventures anyway aren't they yeah 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 exactly so so you know you say they should disband what is the future for them in the city i think to be honest they're still trying to work out for themselves what that might be and what they need to do in order to maintain as much sort of influence and power as they currently have. Yeah. Let's uh, t- just on, on that then, what power do they have? Just so people who aren't familiar, what, what do in a nutshell, sort of quite succinctly, what, what power do they currently have now? It's a private members group, but the people that they bring in as an organization are they're either non-exec directs or they're kind of chief exec, very, very senior people within all of the really important areas of the economy and society. So they've got top level people on NHS boards, for example. Yeah. They've people from the top level university, but they've also got lawyers, people that would be working in the finance industry are very kind of involved in that. They've all, you know, this youth zone that's in South Bristol. Yeah. So, They've recently brought in somebody from one of the one of the organisations involved in running those youth zones. So they're very skilled and they're very savvy about who it is they're inviting in to make sure that they're all part of their club as well. And they've had um, a, and on that they've had a foothold in not just education but in a lot of the third sector charities in the city. Well, be that quartet, be that youth work they? or be that say again, sorry. They run quartet pretty much. I mean, that's the biggest third sector funder in in not just Bristol, but in the wider region, isn't it? Yeah. Some charities are like, oh, we need to have a merchant on the board to get funding. And that is a thing that a lot of them do, that they feel you have to. And it's like, well, I suppose the question is why you would have to. You mentioned one one city stuff on the one city boards. There are a number. In an ideal world, what would you like them to do and what should they do? Because I suppose if you take away the fact that they're sort of connected to the transatlantic stage really and go back, you know, 500 years or so. There are sort of, you know, kind of business masonic type organisations in, in pretty much every city in the country that hold power and wealth and influence. So if they did disband or they changed their name, those same people would still be here, though, wouldn't they? And they'd still be involved in stuff because that's what they do, these people. Well, the, well, yeah, I mean, and that's fine for them to want to be involved in stuff and sit on charities boards but there's they do more than that they run our state schools don't they they've got yeah. their own academy chain so they're heavily Which involved in running academy, our state yeah. schools and yeah. you know that is very that isn't the same actually as just being you know saying oh i want to do a bit of charity work or i'll do some pro bono work for somebody because i'm kind of you know retiring and i'm a lawyer or something yeah um that 
they are in control of how they're spending millions and millions of, of public money. And for you, that's fundamentally undemocratic. I mean, you've, let me just read a quote from you in this, what you said, society interventions need to get out of our democracy. Mm. This was after the Colson 4 court case. It came out in court. There's clear evidence individuals in the organisation tried to interfere with the democratic process. As an elected member of the council, that is something I will be taking up and I will be pushing for as myself, as an individual and the Green Party. Um, it's an opaque organisation and it's not for them to be involved in our democratic process. Mm. What, what Are you doing anything actively in the same regard that you did with counting costs? Are you doing anything actively as a councillor politician now to get rid of them? From our democracy? Yeah. It's quite difficult, Neil, because we're, we're, we're opposition, right? Yeah. So we don't get to make any of those decisions. Okay, so when the, when the we go to May and the mayoral system is done and the Greens are the majority... And I, I would imagine some people think that could even increase that majority of councillors under the Possibly, cabinet, yeah. you know, under the new system. Is there movements to do something? Well, I mean, the focus will be well. The focus for the Green Party will shift from what it is largely now, which is kind of you know development and international this and being on the global stage that and whatever. Yeah. To seventy percent of our budget is about running statutory services. Let's sort out. Let's focus on making sure they're as good as they can be. Yeah. And that takes out a lot of that kind of corporate business capital element anyway. Yeah. Because that's just not the focus. The focus, in my view, from local councillors very much needs to be making sure that our waste services are run properly and, you know, our, 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 our schools are working to the best that can serve our disadvantaged and vulnerable children and that adult social care is kind of being transformed in a way that, means that people are better but if the them. merchants have still got their hands in these things or kind of what what Some can of them you have, do I mean, they've been involved in adult social care for quite a long time but there's lots of players in that area yeah so they're one of many and also the council still retains some delivery itself a broad point on that and i don't want to labor this too much because i want to ask you a little bit about i don't know how much you can talk about your libel case are you allowed to talk about that on there we can talk, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. George Ferguson, right, was obviously a merchant ventry, sort of stood, stood down not long before he stood as mayor. And in the same line of argument around the you know, current mayor Marvin Reese, has he been quite cozy with, with the merchants for you? I interviewed him and asked him some direct questions about it. And he didn't like it at all. And I just wonder whether that relationship has surprised you. The, the Labour Party, I've had, you know, I've had Karen Smith on this show herself, obviously, you know, Bristol South Labour MP, calling for the merchant ventures to, to disband. Mm. But it was, a, it was an uncomfortable conversation he didn't want to have with me when I asked him questions. You know, for you, well, is he uh, been a I bit cosy? That's, that's the measure of where he is then, really. Um, I don't see that he has challenged or removed mm. them from the decision-making processes. If anything, these one-city boards has encouraged more of it. Mm. because I don't know how individuals or organisations get on there. It's quite opaque and they kind of produce documents that, and then what happens to these documents? Yeah. It's, I, 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 it's a kind of big society stuff, isn't it? Which is like get everybody yeah, in the room is. together and something will kind of help. Yeah. Which to some people feels liberating and you're at, the, you're at the wheels of change. And I think he sort of feels that and that's his politics. But other people, yeah, probably see it as being... Undemocratic. More of his I mean, it's yeah. what's different. What's changed? What's different now? What's better mm. now than when we saw old George Ferguson took over? Nothing's better in the transport field. Yeah, the arena's Bristol, not yet built, and it's going to be in South Gloucestershire. Bristol sort of on the map a bit more. 
No. Well, well, and so how's that? So my question will be: How has that benefited people that live in and around East Street? Yeah. How has that benefited young people growing up in Lawrence Weston on yeah. free school meals? And mm. if it hasn't, if it hasn't reached those groups, then yeah. what's the point of it? If those members of our community are not in the picture on that. So you had a libel case that involved the merchant venturers, I think, in 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 Bristol. Just tell us a bit about that. So this, or this dates back a few years ago. So I was, so it was at the time when Countering Coastal was really kind of on it. Mm. And I, I was interested in what they were doing in the cathedral with their education because largely I was looking at admission arrangements much more generally across the city. Yeah. And so I put in an objection to Colston Girls, which you're completely allowed to do when that's part of the system. And what came back was an embedded letter, is it how I can describe it, that basically made all sorts of allegations and brought in the stuff with countering Colston and brought in stuff around other schools that I'd also had investigated. And this person that wrote it was compl- got completely the wrong end of the stick. But what they were trying to do was demigrate my character and mm-hmm. and and try to say this was part of some kind of activism. It was things like Christine and these people have done X, Y, and Z. Children have been harassed outside of us, you know. So there was inference yeah. in there, and they, you know, and they, yeah, they claimed that there'd been a bomb threat to Colston Girls' School, as it was called then. Yeah. So the associations are all in all in the letter, and they this man and he tried to claim that I wasn't interested in children's education. That it wasn't that at all. I was completely obsessed with the fact that it was called Colston Girls, and that was my kind of motivation. And you know, I was a bit. And they said that they'd reported myself and this article that had been recently written about the history of their own school mm-hmm. by a historian to the Lado. So that's the local authority designated officer. So basically, they're saying we've poured, reported her to the Lado. So we think she's dangerous to children. Right. <laughs> so so like, this was a smear campaign which actually did result in a full retraction and written apology. Well, yeah, um, the thing with the to, thing to with, you, yeah. Yeah, but the thing with the yeah, the thing with the letter is that it's only seen by those that are involved in the case. So it wasn't public. Did that make you feel broadly then that actually there is a a, a conscious and deliberate effort to try and a smear you but also put anybody off the scent did that make you feel that they are quite a sinister organization well yeah when you read the content of the letter staying on the adjudicator stuff in june there was a 25 million uh paying new school uh, built in lock lees and the government's schools adjudicator partially upheld a complaint made by you mm. um to change the wording of the emissions policy yeah what specifically was that i guess the, the charge being is that they're trying to recruit kids from posher areas is is that in a nutshell well the thing is is that it enabled them to say 25 percent will come from the immediate local area but yeah. they added the words up to 25 percent right and so therefore one percent fits that 24 percent fits that and ah, so in the room, no one suggested that they would ever use it but that's not the point it's kind of like you can't just add these words in that completely yeah. changed the meaning of the sentence. Do you think that was intentional? Of course it was intentional because when they went to consultation, the up to was not in there. Right. So this they would be, this, and the reason for doing this would be, in effect, sort of social engineering, trying to game 
who goes to their school in well, order they, of course would deny any of that well, no no i'm just saying that would be i'm um, <laughs> hypothetically of course they would yeah this the charge being that in order to get better results which then hits you up the league tables and starts that process it was almost like a it's trying to be more selective and manipulate and game the system to get a different demographic going to the school would that yes. yeah 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 which is what the cathedral trust does it's part of what they do in their schools right and that is that, and that's the end. That's the reason why, fundamentally, it's it's because well, they don't want they don't want poor they don't want the kids going there that are going to lower well, their yeah change because them. Yeah. they change it right. So I mean, yeah. you know, that's the outcome. The outcome is that they have so in a number of their schools, the outcome of the way in which they allocate places, they have fewer SEN children than the city yeah. average. They have fewer children on free school meals than the city average, and they have more children from affluent areas than the city average. So unless that's their desired outcome, which is the outcome, the only outcome they've ever achieved with the way in which they currently allocate places, then yeah. they've got some explaining to do as to as to why they don't change it. Yeah. Because they the, can, it, see, the school, yeah. the school can make changes at the school level. Does the system of education and the sort of reliance on league tables attached to funding, et cetera, make schools want to play loose with the rules a bit? It sort of lends itself for people cheating. It can do, yes. I mean, it can, the, the 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 frameworks within which certainly admissions work allows would allow, allow school to do schools to do certain things if they so desired. Yeah. So what that comes down to is what's your motivation for being involved in this particular school? What is yeah. it that you're trying to get for this school that you're running? And, you know, making sure that local children attend what they tell us is going to be a fabulous school and yeah. receive fabulous education is not one of it. If the, what they're actually doing is limiting the number of kids from the locality sure. that can go there. And if I didn't say this was, this is Trinity Academy in Lotleys. You mentioned SEND. That's obviously a big crisis, really, in, in Bristol. We've had parents taking the council to court, accusations of bullying, spying, on campaigning parents you've been connected to this a bit is this one of the the real shameful things of the current regime in the city yes i think this is probably the worst that i've seen with some of the targeted and sort of cultural work practices that we've seen amongst senior education staff supported by the the, the political leads Who's to blame um, for this? Is it local politicians, national it's politicians? Be, it's got to, it's, it's, well, what the actual sort of, we're going to look up your social media posts and send them send them around by email to other senior leaders. Yeah, I mean, I that's guess, local, yeah. right? Sure, yeah. It is, it is the case that the education system and high needs, in, you know, has been, the funding's been cut. But Bristol... You know, savage austerity. That, that's what they would say, wouldn't they? They'd I know they would, but with, that's yeah. because it suits their narrative to say it's like this at the national level as well. And it is yeah. like that at the national level as well. But there are yeah. specific things within Bristol. Local decisions have been made to act in particular ways. And I think mm. that that thing around the spying on parents and really going after the parent carer forum is just indicative of that. You don't Why have they done that? That just seems an old, really odd thing to do. What? What's because the... because they wanted to close them down and shut them up. It's as simple as that. Right. They were saying things that they didn't want to hear. Because the thing is, is that if, well, as a politician, if you accept something is the case, you can't then not react to it. Yeah. If you could silence people, if you can close them down, then there's no need to change anything. 
This has, of course, all been denied. Marvin Rees told a meeting the council was not pursuing a great evil subterfuge plot. We do have a responsibility of setting the tone in the city. Talking about gaslighting, bullying, all that type of stuff is unhelpful. But you're saying that's what they did? Yeah. yeah. I, stood up, I stood up in the council chambers because that's exactly what they did do. And I've seen the evidence of it. Look, when you've got senior members of the council, which is what we had, collating social media posts and sending them around to other members, senior members of staff. You know, the, well, the first question is I ask is why are you doing that when you haven't got enough school places? Where's the focus yeah. of your work? Because that is, you know, that's not improving it. That's just wasting time. But that the fact that they, that those senior managers got to the point in their working culture where they, that was, that was something they were doing reflects what the, the political directions and the political seers that they were getting from their leads. So and where are we at with that now in terms of the relationship between parent groups uh, and the local authority? Mm-hmm. Is, is it in a better place or, or is I would, it? I would say it is because at, the, because at the very least there's been an acceptance that they had to start putting in decent plans and working through strategies over time. They've looked at where where's our baselines in this and where do we need to get to in three years, yeah. five years, and how are we going to get there? So implementation of that is now the next is kind of the next stage. Mm-hmm. And of and course, some of some of the players involved in 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 this won't be around well, um, when, 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 yeah. when we come to May. It'll be a changing of the guard. Now you've sort of crossed the Rubicon to become a cancer in opposition. How is it going to feel for you suddenly being thrust into a position where you have to make key decisions on budgets. From a personal perspective, the position I feel relatively comfortable in, there mm. will be some very uncomfortable things, I'm sure, that decisions that will need to be made. You will um, have to be in a position to compromise, unlike you have before, course, surely, yes. yeah? Yeah, of course. Of course you have to. Well, yes, of course you're going to have to compromise on your ideal scenario, mm. but actually you want to take, the different parts of the city with you and you want to take the different you know the committee a committee system is about reaching decisions that everybody can live with and so therefore nobody gets exactly what they want yeah everybody is in a position where they're saying these are the, you know here's our top five if we get three we're happy and so Will people be calling you out as the establishment like the, the honeymoon period might be over for the green party after a certain time like it was for marvin and like it's been for labor and also for somebody like yourself to suddenly you're always sort of being seen, I suppose, as on the outside changing and lobbying and pushing and being an activist will now be in a slightly different position. I'm just interested to how, how that will be. My area is is largely the school system and the children's services that kind of come from that. I'm not going to yeah. be saying anything that I haven't already been saying for the last 15 years. And you're not whipped, of course, like Labour, so you can be a little bit more free with what you say as well i suppose slightly yeah i mean because you're not whipped into into particular areas but there isn't anybody that i know that's in the green Mm. party that isn't going to say of course we've got to make sure that our children in care and our kids on free school meals you know our disadvantaged kids and those with send are at the absolute foundation for any education policy that you put forward i am not going to be celebrating schools that i know sort of place barriers in front of our most disadvantaged kids. I'll be celebrating the schools that practice the opposite of that. 
um, whenever there's decisions to be made about how little bits of additional public money are spent. I'm not going to be saying, yes, I support that money being spent on, I don't know, Redland Green, because I know that Redland Green has got the least number of kids on free school meals. I want to see, you know, Fair Furlong out in Hartcliffe with about 45% of kids on free school meals. I want those schools to get that attention and that investment. Um, yeah. And if you get a knock on the door from the, uh, the master merchant to say, come and have a cup of tea. I'm on the yeah. dance committee, Neil. So oh, I are you? Oh, well, yeah, okay. I said, I've in these people deliberate yeah. on my part. It's like I'm sat right. in the same room and you've got to listen to me. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> they haven't asked you to join yet then? No. Not yet, no. Carrie Bells is in there before me. She's, well, she um, did. Well, she did. She called him out. Yeah, she previous, said, yeah. why can't I join? She's, they haven't invited her yet, as far as I know. She's still waiting for the invite. As far as I know, she's still awaiting <laughs> the invite, yeah. Many thanks to this week's guest on Bristol Unpacked, Councillor Christine Townsend, for joining us. And we'll be back next week with another guest and a fantastic topic. I'm Neil Maggs. Big thanks to our executive producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, and to our production team from the Bristol Cable in collaboration with Ession Noise. Also, Blue Dot for our music. <laughs>